Calling yourself a penguin doesn't mean you're fit for the Antarctic. Neither does calling yourself a Christian because you attend a church mean that you are fit for the kingdom of God. Welcome to the Things I Preach to Myself About podcast. I'm your host, Rich Vangen, and on today's episode, are we contending? So change, that one thing that is constant. You look around and you see change in everything under the sun. Even now, nature turns its gaze from growth and green to death and cold. The time for change can be good, as in trees and grass slumbering for a time before a rebirth comes at springtime. But change also has its follies and failures. Like taking truths and changing them has its consequences. From the magnificent changes such as seasons and times to minuscule things that can mean either a little or a lot, change always has to be attended to. Now, there's this problem of great proportions in the world today. It's one that sweeps across invisible lines affecting young and old, rich and poor, male and female. It's permeating society. And yet it's perhaps one of the most overused, misunderstood, and often flippant expressions said by people today. And that's the word blessed. I cannot express how sick and tired I am of hearing people constantly using that word, thinking that anytime they get or have something they want, they're blessed. Oh, they're so blessed to have their friends, their families, you know, they got a new car, got this, got that, I got, 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 got. No matter the declaration, all right, they're always saying they're blessed. It's just beyond excess. You know, it, again, it, it annoys me. But why? Why would people saying they're blessed be such an annoyance? Well, to start with, most people don't even have a clue as to what that word even means. When you look up the definition, there are a lot of adjective uses for it. And since the foundational beginnings of the word relate to sacred or religious meaning, the word nowadays is demoted to a platitude expression. I guess I could go on the record as saying that its use today really kind of borders on a sacrilege level. This is a change to me that's unacceptable. Unfortunately, the so-called church of today, especially in America, has really run the sacrilege flag up the proverbial pole to declare that God does nothing other than bless. In a biblical perspective, since the first appearance of the word in Genesis 1.28 where God blessed Adam and Eve, the word really has been solely pinned to a level of religious honor from either God to man, man to God, or man to man. But unfortunately, due to time changes, it has devolved into something that the vast majority of people today use as this catch-all phrase that something good has happened to them. This once beautiful word has subsequently become something for the self-serving, look-at-me people to spout off with. Now, the word bless shows up in the Bible like 133 times, the word blessed is used 311 times. There's 81 uses of the word blessing. And you throw on 27 more times where blessing is plural, the S at the end. 15 times 
blesses is used, and blessedness makes a pair of appearances. In most cases, the words are invoking a request to consecrate, to make holy, you know, passing on a divine favor. So to use the word as a callous, worldly way really strips the specialness of the gesture. Essentially, the true meaning of blessed has become so secularized to the point that people don't even have a clue that it's really supposed to be in a godly context. In fact, the whole exercise of being holy, set apart, consecrated, has become so muddied and diluted that the world sees true Christianity as nothing less than some archaic religion devoid of truth and reality. And the saddest part of all is that the churches let this happen by blending and melding with the world themselves. These types of changes have really caused a lot of damage. When truths are distorted and not corrected, then those truths tend to be relabeled. They are now deemed outdated. They're relics, ancient, irrelevant. All words that many ascribe to biblical Christianity today, they now use these terms like fairy tales, fiction, myths, fables. These are the current views that many have regarding the Bible. And again, this is often the view of those who claim themselves even inside the church body. Most of this has evolved through changes in truth. Over time, the distortions have become accepted. Truth has faded into memory. Even though the absolute words are clearly together, unison in thought, written down for all to see, people have slowly and, quite honestly, diabolically redefined the Bible and its truth, piece by piece, concept by concept, until most believe that the new view is right. And again, this includes those who claim themselves to be part of a Christian church. Jude's letter to the church starts off and says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now Jude had a bit of change in his epistle. He started out writing to discuss this common salvation that was amongst the brethren, but was compelled by the Holy Spirit to address a, a more pressing matter. It seems that even back then they were facing issues of people changing truth already. So Jude starts off by telling the folks to Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered. Now, the word contend is such a powerful word. It speaks of struggling against or wrestling for something specific. As an example, since my memory isn't the greatest, I, I have to contend with my memory in order to remember scripture verses. In other words, this is an action that takes effort and time and strength to accomplish. And Jude wants his readers to contend with their faith. So, why? Because in verse 4, he points out that certain people were infiltrating the church body and spewing lies and deceptions. Now, these were teachers who twisted the truth, changing the gospel, and were leading weeks, the weak believers astray. They perverted the truth. And sadly, this is still going on today. 
When you look at the vast majority of churches today, they're all showing signs and symptoms that they've changed the meaning of God's own words. They've replaced truth to become more seeker-friendly and essentially doing what the people want, you know, the worldly people. And we know from Scripture that people don't even want to follow God and his decrees from the beginning anyway. Jesus said that if we abide in his word, we are truly his disciples and we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. Obviously, there are many who have created their own truths by redefining or rewriting the reality of God and his word to fit their narrative. They think that they can mold God into their narrative by altering or deleting the scriptures. But the reality is that God doesn't change. His word abides forever. And you can say what you will about the Bible, but that will not alter or change his will and his ways. The world thinks that that it's outsmarted God by quenching his truth. And yes, many have been deceived by the devil's works. But we don't need to be in that body count. The folks blinded by the world don't see their way as folly. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 9, we read about the woman, folly, and how she easily sways people who are simple. You know, folks that really don't want to know or seek the truth. It says in the scripture, The woman, folly, is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, you know, who are going straight on their way. She says, Whoever is simple, let him turn here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Folks, her followers are told exactly where they end up, and yet they still turn. They end up in hell. And this doesn't just apply to unbelievers alone, but also to the many belonging to today's apostate church. And this really, the whole thing is really an act of God anyway, his providence. God did say in Romans chapter 1 that he would give them over to the lusts in their bodies, letting them continue to live their best life now. You see, the cleansing that's going on is actually a separating of wheat and chaff. We know that there will be many who will fall away, but their falling may not be into the realm of atheism or agnosticism, but simply really just belonging to a self-titled church that doesn't even teach the truth of God. Their falling away really could just be going into a church that espouses nothing but the feel-good teachings, just like the New Age shamans and pagans. The places that say, hey, if it makes you happy, it must be good. Those are the groups that push out the negative of Scripture and only focus on the peace, love, joy. They discount God, his wrath, sin, all of those factors. But we know from the complete word of God that the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. And as the world continues to redefine what is and isn't truth based on their standards, they will turn an accusatory eye upon believers who still hold fast to the faith 
those folks that were taught from the Bible, the time for persecution continues to grow. And God is going to let this happen in the church. 1 Peter chapter 4 says, For it is a time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? But before that 17th verse I just mentioned, Peter says this of the coming suffering, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange has happened to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. With the downfall of true biblical teachings, with the decline in faithfulness to God's word, and with the willing acceptance of lies from the devil himself, we need, more than any other time in history, to stand fast, hold firm, contend, and be vigilant in our faith. We need to truly know what we believe and why. We need to put on the full armor of God to stand against the enemy of God. Knowing the truth and knowing that the truth will set us free is so key right now. You see, we have been set free. We're no longer captives to the sin that plagues this world. Jesus gave us that freedom by his work on the cross and his overcoming the grave. His resurrection to the right hand of God the Father is our hope and our strength for us to press on to the goal that's set before us. He gave us this gift of salvation, not to squander it by conforming to the patterns of this fallen world, but to encourage us to contend to the very end. I close with Peter's great exhortation to the saints. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by all the brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Folks, that's clear instructions. May we stand firm contending for the faith in our day-to-day battles. May God bless you and hold you firm in his hand. Amen. This has been Things I Preach to Myself About podcast. Again, I'm your host, Bridge Vangan, and I praise God that you have taken the time to even give a little consideration to 
what I'm saying here. And I pray and hope that these words are encouragement to you, are edifying, strengthening, and that you have the gospel of peace around you at all times during these battles. So may God bless you richly, stand strong in the faith, contending for the faith. Amen and amen.